Hello, everyone. Welcome to Seek Go Create. This is Tim Winders, your host. I have relocated recently. I'm now in sunny Colorado for uh, for this interview. As always, in the passenger seat, I have a fellow podcaster that I'm going to be talking to. So we're going to have a great conversation. I always love to get perspectives of people that have interviewed a lot of other people <laughs> because I think it really reframes who we are. I know I enjoy that. I'm guessing that our guest does too, but thanks for joining us. I want to always remind you to make sure that you visit our website, seekgocreate.com. We got a lot of cool stuff there, a lot of in-depth notes, resources. I'm sure we're going to be mentioning some things in this conversation today. The people that transcribe, they will actually put links to everything we bring up. In fact, recently we mentioned a cat video <laughs> and on an interview I was doing and the people transcribing found that video on YouTube and provided a link. So everything should be uh, linked in on our notes. So make sure you go to seekgocreate.com. Today I've got Sam Coates as the guest. And, you know, it's getting so interesting when you have a podcast. People find you or you find people, and I don't really know how we got connected. I really don't. But uh, he has the Driven By podcast, which I've been power listening for the last few days, enjoying the heck out of it. And his team is known for creating videos and podcasts, podcasts that are engaging authentic and get to the core of why people are driven for the causes they believe in. I kind of stumbled on that interview, on that, on that bio there, Sam. Welcome to Seat Go Create. Thanks, Tim. Great to see you. Great to have you here. What part of the world are you in? Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee. Well, like I said, I'm here in Colorado and, and we're going to dive into a lot of things you do. And I, I like to talk to interviewers because, like I said earlier, the insight that they have uh, Sam, first question, I kind of gave you a little heads up on this and we sort of are just bumping into each other and meeting someone bumps into you and bumps into you and they ask what you do. What do you typically tell people? That I produce interviews that get to the heart and the core of who somebody is. And that message usually gets others to do what these people want them to do. So <laughs> tell stories and get it out of them. And then that, that helps corporations that helps companies and that also helps private families that want the true personality of someone and they, they want that story captured. Is that, is that kind of something you've kind of always done? I mean, I, I listen from listening to you interview, I could tell you're curious, you're inquisitive, you want to pull things out from people. Is that something you've always had? I think so. It, it's lonely. I mean, I'll, I'll start there and it's been a very confusing couple of years because going down this path, it's very creative. There's a lot of people that do it. How do you make money doing it? What should you focus on? And so I came, I'm 34. So I, you know, I went to college and I started business in college. I sold that business in 2019, but there was a shift that I felt where in business, where I started I just recognized the interest in the other person. I, I, I was very interested in what they weren't saying, but what was actually being said, I was, I was interested in, in really just connecting with other people. And that's where pro certain products or certain types of services within a business. I just, I had this realization that people is, is what I loved and what I was curious in and still an entrepreneur. So, but fast forward, like if you'll ask people that have known me for 10, 20 years, they'll say that I've always been the way that I am. But it's definitely been a wild experience going 100% into something where there's not a lot of people that technically do what you do. There's a lot of podcasts and there's a lot of different types of communication, but to really kind of blaze your own trail. And you referenced Drew Holcomb's interview that I did. And that was really early for me, like number five. But there's something that he shared that I've always, that's always just stuck with me. And he said it, I never felt like I wanted to quit and it never got so hard that I had to quit. And I never ran out of money to where I also had to quit. And so for me, I am on my energy levels flow concentration, however you want to talk about it, I am energized the most and in the game the most when I'm 
when I'm with somebody else and I'm being paid to, to honor them and to draw it out. And so there's, but that's not the majority of your hours. Even if you're doing really good work, you got all the post-production stuff. So for me, and then when you're trying to build something, you're trying to push down this path and you don't see how it's all shaken out in a society where business is plans, objectives, P and L's and all that kind of stuff. It's just stayed in my heart and I've kept pushing and I'm, you know, and I just, I'm going to keep pushing until, you know, until I can't. What's fascinating about that. I'm sitting here. And again, I've said this multiple times already. It's so intriguing to me when you get two podcasters kind of together, because when we first got on the line before we pushed record, you started asking me questions about my background and living in the RV and where I'm from. And I'm like going, this is a guy that's interviewing me and, and, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of supposed to interview, but I, I will probably go back and forth a good bit during this conversation. And, and I was thinking about when you were saying that the downtime in between when we're probably doing the things that give us the most passion, the most energy. And I've got two podcast interviews this week. I've got a couple of corporate coach type meetings. And then I've got a lot of in between where I'm working on another novel and doing some writing, which doesn't quite give me the same amount of energy. And, and I don't know if you're this way, but I find myself getting excited, slightly nervous, because I think we need to have a little bit of nerves every time we turn on the mic or stand up and, and talk, you know, just to kind of keep the edge going. But I'm like most excited when I'm about to talk to someone I've never talked to for an hour like you. Is that, are you that way? Yes. But <laughs> that was a long, that was a long, yeah, that was a long <laughs> pause. <laughs> You there? I am. We might have had a little hiccup there. I'm here. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I'm more comfortable now talking to whoever I need to talk with, but I feel the pressure, especially for a a paid engagement because you want to deliver and, and that can be complicated. And I mean, I, I, there's a project recently where, I just wasn't getting a lot out of the person that I was doing this with. And it was, you know, it was a, it was a big deal and it was fine, but that's your, that's where your job kicks in and you just got to figure out a way to make it work. And then there's other people where you, you have that chemistry and that connection. And, and I come at it a little bit different. Like I really try to say as little as possible and get them and draw it out and keep pushing. But yeah, I mean, I, I do feel the way that you said, but it's more so just wanting to make sure that you deliver. Hmm. So, so were you doing the podcast before you started doing the corporate work or has the corporate work been around and you started pat- podcasting? What, what was the order of things getting, uh, getting started? So in June of 2020, I, I started a podcast and I just went for it and can't really explain why just happened and just kind of one of those things you have an idea for and you just do it. And I mean, there's other things I have ideas for and I don't do, but, and then in February, fast forward that following year. So under a year, I did an interview with a female co-founder and the CEO of that company called me and they said, Hey, she's done a hundred of these interviews and yours is the best one that she has done we care 40% of our employees around the country have been with this company less than two years. And so they don't know the story of what we built and for us to continue to perform and for this company to go to the next generation of leadership and things like that, our culture and everything that we do has to stay rooted in how we started. Would you produce a podcast for us that does this? And I, and I was working on some other things, which I could elaborate on or not, but I just totally said, yes, absolutely. And I just dropped what I was doing and it was, and so that's how that started. And that was after the podcast. Yeah. So, so that's fascinating. So did you do, 
just a single production for them? Or are you doing an ongoing communication, uh, like an internal uh, podcast for them? I think it, well, for them, it was a, it was like seven, eight months and it was the story based principles, experiences with, you know, certain people that reflected what they wanted. And, you know, as anybody knows with the podcast data and metrics, it's important to understand. And obviously podcasts are incredibly hard and there's over a million of them, but from a, from a corporate and a company standpoint, there's gotta be an ROI. So I have different clients that do different things. Sometimes it's more like one-off things like that, which that's not one-off. That was a series of seven, eight months. And then other times they're ongoing and, but it, you know, you're just always monitoring it to make sure to see what the return is. And then there's other stuff I do that's private. And so metrics, I mean, internally metrics are being measured, but external, it doesn't matter. And nobody can even hear what's being said from the outside. Yeah. Well, the, the good thing about that, I mean, I'm, there's a few organizations I'm working with right now and especially in the times that we're in, Sam, I think that leaders Oh, oh heck everyone they're struggling with communications <laughs> they're they're struggling with you know getting a message across and and how are we building our culture and uh, you know there's organization I'm working with that I, I just spoke with the leader the other day and his comment was he goes you know we're not really doing anything different but boy the results are are really rough right now and I I think that's the nature of where we're headed I think it's just going to get tougher and so right. I, I do think it's valuable to, I mean, I love that, that you just brought up to share the story of how we came to be so that people know what they're a part of. Um, you mentioned ROI. That, that is something that could be tough to gauge from a pure financial ROI standpoint. Would that be correct? Yes. And I, I mean, I have case studies from clients that I've done this with. I mean, you could obviously if you really wanted to get cut me off, if I get too much in the weeds, I'll make it short. But if you really had the analytics and the data, you can measure turnover, you can me measure profitability, you could reconcile listeners and engagement across all these different departments and those stores. And, and, and then you could kind of back into what you quantify off of the specific objectives of those places, but also I don't want to get, I don't want to get kind of out in left field here, but I've done enough and seen enough and heard enough that the people that are most vital and most impactful to the places, wherever they're at, there's something deeper inside of them that makes them want to be there. And it makes them want to, to do that work. For example, there's a, there's a pet retail company. It was highest rated, it was highest rated customer service quality product around the country. It's called Hollywood feed. They're, they're smaller than like Petco, but you know, a anonymous survey measured all these different pet retailers. And so Hollywood feed, um, you know, they have locations around the country. They have about 200 and they started with three stores, but you know, there, there was somebody that I interviewed a part of that company who worked manufacturing hated their job, did it for 20 years, talked about the frustration and the loneliness of doing that, but they'd always loved hunting. And they started selling food products to, to, to cattle, to dogs, to, you know, I don't want to get an animal wrong here, but they started, you know, in a more rural area. And then as a result, they get to this company and they led the import export purchasing for this national pet retailer during the middle of COVID. I mean, they, they, they're an executive at this position and they went from telling this story of being very frustrated, lonely, working manufacturing in a rural area in Tennessee to working for this pet retailer, national company with an incredibly strong reputation with a very talented operator, CEO, like that person, man or woman, they're going to excel. And there's something about animals that they love. There's something about treating them fairly, do, doing right by them, 
giving them what they need. And so and it doesn't matter if it's automotive. It doesn't matter if it's manufacturing. I've seen enough to know. And so we're in a, we're in a time where there's more options than ever. Oftentimes wages are incredibly competitive, but at the end of the day, who wants to be a part of the mission of whatever that organization is doing? And those are buzzwords. And I think they're overused and they're often used wrong, you know, incorrectly, but at the end of the day, who, whose personal, what drives that person? How does that fall up under that organization? And yes, there's a freedom and there's a movement for, you know, and through globalization to where there's a lot of options and you can get paid by the gig and all that, that's fine. But there's still people that want to be a part of something. And there's still people that want to be a part of community that want to develop and, and that have something inside of them that makes them want to be a part of that company. And even though that company is trying to make money and grow, they do love their people. And so I get to tell the stories that reflect that and business is messy. Anybody that's owned a business or seen the inside of it, it's messy, but and people are imperfect, but I get to see the drivers that each person, and it doesn't matter who the person is, and I get to pull that out of them through their words and their voice. And so I think it's crucial to companies because if you want to look at the turnover numbers, the metrics, if you want to look at how hiring's done, I mean, even just think about the people that are making these decisions inside those organizations oftentimes are turning over. And so the best operators that I work for, they just want more of the right people and they're not going to compromise the work. They're not going to compromise the culture or they're doing everything they can to not do those things. And so I get to draw these stories that validate that and it, and it creates a sense of community. And so it's very valuable. And then you take people and you honor their own skill sets or their profession within inside that company. And you're able to, for people to, to learn that and to see that from other people and, you know, cross train, so to speak, or however you want to say it. And people feel a part of something and it's powerful. Yeah. One of the things that I've been doing recently, this, I had three things pop into my head. So I'm going to, I'll kind of tie my thoughts together, then throw it back to you to respond to it. And because I, I, I love the way this is developing as the, it's really a communications tool and I've said it earlier, I, I believe that with all that's going on, all the great things we've got, I'm looking at my phone and got a laptop here. We really communicate our message, <laughs> our messages worse than we ever have probably in, in history because we're, we, I'm saying we in general, you know, are, are not very good at it. We could look at any example, politics or even companies and leadership. I work primarily with leadership teams. And the big thing that I've been talking about Sam is is really what is the identity of the organization and see the identity to me is more foundational than purpose and mission and uh, you know strategy and things like that I work with organizations on all those things but identity is something that it, it it's authentic it's transparent and even if you say you're one thing people know sometimes when you're something else and let me give you an example. I'm going to mention two organizations that that are kind of in in most people's minds. And if someone's from the South, they're familiar with Chick-fil-A. And Chick-fil-A has quite the identity of the chicken sandwich and just the way they function and operate. Their drive-thrus run awesome, things like that. And I think everybody knows and understand it. And then I'm going to flip it with an organization that, as at the time of recording this, are probably in turmoil as far as their identity goes, and that is Twitter. And that is because Twitter has just been acquired by Elon Musk. He is no, doing no telling what within that organization. And uh, I, I believe that he will probably do something okay with it because of just what's there. But those are two, two sides of the equation as far as identity go. It seems as if what you do is you help people share their identity. And, and I like the thought of that, but you do the same thing on your podcast. I mean, that's just what Sam does. It seems like. Yeah. Well, a couple of thoughts there. Um, and I don't mean this to like go off on a debate or anything and I don't want to be political, but I think like Elon, for example, one could argue that Twitter's development and product innovation and how they iterate creativity has been lackluster over the last several years, especially if you look at this, 
the stock price, which is not all about the stock price, but what the market thinks of Twitter over the last decade is pretty flat or might have even down a little bit. And I think the way Elon operates, which I've, I've never met him, but just my perception, he is an all-in operator that is absolutely obsessed and focused on building his products the way they need to be built that transform the world and you're either in or you're out. And he's a frontline operator. He's, he, it seems like these have created a lot of consequences, you know, for his personal life with relationships or whatever. I'm not saying that negatively, but he is just, he is obsessed with the products. And so I see him coming in into Twitter. And again, I don't want to go too much in the detail, but like, that's going to shake the culture up, but I guarantee Tesla's done pretty, pretty well. And it, it'd be hard to say any, like, look at what Tesla's had to go through. Look at what, how they battled traditional auto manufacturers and look at everything he's had to battle with NASA with SpaceX. Like he has had to bulldog through challenges that no other human being has ever had to do. Now you look at Chick-fil-A, it's just a different personality. And again, I'm not saying everything's great about Twitter or SpaceX or whatever. I'm just saying that's the way he is. And that carries over the organization. And, and that's going to shake the way it was. And, but he is, I really, from an outside perception, I believe he is trying to go back to first principles to see what does Twitter actually need and how can we serve the most amount of people possible. And, and so then you take Chick-fil-A, but like right now, Chick-fil-A, it's a great company, but, and everybody talks about how great they are, which they are, but they're struggling where I'm at. I've felt a decline in the service and, you know, and the wait times and whatever. And I'm, and I know that they're going to figure it out or whatever, but, and so they're going to have I've, their DNA and their, their identity is completely different than Twitter, but they're still going to have real challenges that they've got to tackle and figure out because the Chick-fil-A today is not what it was from a consumer standpoint, at least where I go a year ago. And that's just the hard part of business is to keep plowing through and figure out what works and what doesn't. And, and so I think what I've seen is the identity of a company, whether you like it or not, matches the behavior and the values of the founder. And so at the end of the day, and there's a lot of strategy and there's a lot of planning and I'm not, I'm not a McKinsey consultant, but I can simplify an organization when I understand the founder. And there, there's an organization that I've recently worked with, still work with. They've got just under 4,000 employees and they started with un, less than 10 and it's a nonprofit organization. But they did with what they wanted from me and the work we did together to kick something off, what they did and we did it in three weeks and a fortune 500 company took three months to do it. There's a tempo, there's an urgency. And, and so my point, like with that nonprofit organization, that's just the way it's going to be. And they've gone through a number of challenges and they've been doing this for decades. And so, but at the end of the day, I would almost argue that unless you had a personality like that, you, you might not have been able to go through what they've been through because of how, of the wall sometimes you have to climb over. And so that intensity and passion, you know, it just matches the founder's personality. And I think oftentimes people get frustrated or they get confused, but if it's a founder run company and founder led, it's really easy how to simplify it by just looking at those things and looking at their personality. One thing that's interesting to me, a few, few company names came to mind. I'm yeah, yeah, I might bring them up. Um, is what happens when the founder moves on, passes, whatever. Because Chick-fil-A, I mean, when my wife graduated or got a degree from Georgia State, Truett Cathy spoke. He was he was already moving out of the business by then anyway, Truett Cathy of Chick-fil-A. I, I think Chick-fil-A is interesting because in the, in the arena that they're in, fast food, uh, I do think that entire industry is struggling. They might be still just a little bit better than some of the others, just observation. I mean, I, I used to love a Burger King burger. I, I never go anymore because I never know what I'm going to get when I walk in. Um, but I, I was thinking about the founder concept you just brought up. Uh, and I'm working with, I'm trying to think of some organizations I'm working directly with. I'm working with one organization that I'm working directly with the founder. 
Another one is moving on to another one. Another one with the founder. I mean, I was thinking about Apple. That's the company that came to mind. And I, I've got Apple products. Almost everything I have is Apple. But I've just kind of noticed things change since Steve Jobs hasn't been around. And I'm not saying that they suck or anything like that. But it's just been different. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's fascinating that we have this conversation about founders. And uh, do, do you mostly deal with founder-led organizations? Or do you deal with a little bit of both? Or what's, uh, what's your... Um, bread and butter well up to this point it's been about 50 50 and but i mean hopefully you know the number the data set's just going to keep growing i mean i sure so but so far it's been 50 50 but that's you know that's private equity one private equity one fortune 500 one family office company national nonprofit, and maybe a, a few others so i mean now the stuff that I do, it's a higher price point and it's pretty consuming from a time standpoint, but right. I mean, I would love to come back or talk to you, you know, five years from now and be like, you know, listen, I've done, I've done 30 and, uh, and this is it. And this is what's similar and this is what's different. I can already say what's similar and what's different based off founder led or not, but that's, that's my experience. And I don't want to speak to anything I don't have experience with. Yeah, that's good. So, hey, I wanna, I'd like to back up a little bit here, Sam, because you mentioned you went to school. Are you from Tennessee originally? Where are you yeah, from? I was born and raised in Memphis and lived here. And the only time I hadn't lived here is I was a rafting guide in Northern California on the Klamath River. But I moved back. My family had a company here. So, yeah, born a and raised A rafting guide. What, was, what did that teach you about life? That everything gets old at some point. <laughs> Even as cool as it sounds, right? Yeah, like – Yep. I mean, I remember three months in and I was going home at month four and, uh, I mean, I loved it. I'd go back tomorrow, but yeah, I remember I was like, how can you get tired of this? <laughs> so, so I'm, I want to back up. So one of the things we do here at uh, seek, go create and is really like to dig into how people define success and, really more maybe because of some things I've been through and some, you know, high points, low points, and back again, kind of how people have redefined what success is in their life. You mentioned you had business when you're in college, and I'm sure that you've had some ups and downs. Give us a few peaks and a few valleys along the way of Sam's career, and you can define it however you want. It could be money, it could be you know, you were doing what you really wanted to do or not. Just give us a few peaks and valleys, times you maybe had to redefine what success looked like. So I'd say, yeah. So I started mowing lawns in 2009 and I graduated college in 2012. By 2012, we were probably doing, so it was my senior year my second or third senior year, but we were probably doing, we were doing right at a million dollars a year in revenue. So at, at, at that point I had several trucks crews and we were doing pretty good, like pretty good work. Uh, especially, I mean, it just wasn't a mobile logo service. We were doing full residential, con, you know, maintenance, commercial maintenance, construction. I'd say the most fun part of that, and then it kept growing and then it went down, but I'll get to that. But it's just hiring good people that are in the game, leveraging their skill sets and their creativity and just hustling and just you're working hard, your team's working hard and you're just doing good work. People are getting paid well and you're making, you're making customers happy. That's to me, that was, there's just a feeling that I miss. And I mean, I'm working to do that now, but I miss that. And I could personally, I enjoyed dealing with people that are smart. I personally enjoyed dealing with people that were somewhat challenging and I love trying to over deliver and which meant I got paid more or the my company got paid more because you know, if you're just doing C plus or B work, you're just a commodity, even, you know, regardless of what the, 
you know, whatever the business is. And so that was fun. And, and honestly, I, my, my family, my family, my father had a company, we have a good relationship now, but it went bankrupt, bankrupt in 2009. And I had to close that down or I had a, a role in closing that down. It was very painful. And so my family, they foreclosed on our home. And, and that was when I was a freshman in college. And so I was very insecure about, I, I went to a very nice high school here in Memphis. I felt like I didn't belong internally because you know, some of my friends, their families have built some of the most well-known comp. Well, heck, Fred Smith, founder of FedEx, went to the high school that I did, you know, decades before. Now, obviously not everybody's Fred Smith, but there's a there's an influence where I went to school. And so I felt out of, out of place in certain ways. And I think what I was really struggling with is I was scared to fail. And just to really put it on the line, I mean, I could say that with business. I could say that with dating you know, other women, I could say that with making decisions, I, I, I doubted myself and I still struggle with that, but I'm pushing through it. And, and, but it was fun to work really hard, fun to make people happy, fun to grow a business and fun to create opportunity for others along the way and have a standard. I'd say the, the, the low times were, you know, a few years after that, I realized that's something I did not want to do the rest of my life. And so I was 25, 26, 27. I was meeting my wife and it sucks going from playing offense to playing defense. And, and that's not necessarily all cognitive. I mean, there's, I don't know how to explain it and I'm still working through it, but it was like a switch changed. And so that same kind of intensity, that same kind of drive, that causes you to get up earlier in the morning, work later, all those things. I was doing it or trying to do it, but it was, it, it felt forced. And so I think when you lose that luster, your people see it and your clients see it and, and to just try to hold on. And so I tried to hire, I hired some people and a lot of it was my fault and my responsibility, but I loaded up the my small business with more overhead than what needed. And i I just put myself, I mean, I rung up a really large line of credit and was producing losses each month. And I just had to buckle down and to lay people off. It sucks and it hurts. You feel like you fail people. If you're insecure, you feel like your clients fire you, even if it's just doesn't matter if it's a lot or a little, like, I mean, I, I see businesses all the time. So now I see the attrition, but until then I, I hadn't seen the way the world operates. I had only seen my little world and I got depressed and, and to sell those kind of service businesses are hard because who wants to go buy a service business and go work that hard? I mean, you got to be involved. And so long story short, just going, having to own it, having to be in a season that you don't want to be in, but you still got to do it. You don't have another option. You can't quit your job. You can't just walk away. I mean, you could, but that would be, you create severe consequences for yourself and your family. And then to, to have a spouse that you love and that, that spouse saw you. And I mean, we weren't crazy travelers or spending a bunch of money, but when she met me, it's like, you're kind of rolling and you're having fun and you're in your mid twenties. And then to not take a paycheck home from October to March because you're paying down your line of credit or this person quits or you, you got to let, and, and that wasn't the overwhelming narrative all the time, but that's how I felt. And, and so like right now I'm in a season where I can almost, I can go too much. Like I can work too late. I could, if somebody needed me somewhere outside of Memphis too, I could, and that can create consequences with my own family. And so I've got that fire back. It was just really hard to go through that into my twenties. And eventually, you know, sold that landscape company and I transitioned out, but those are highs and lows. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And what's fascinating about that, Sam, and how old are you? How old did you say you were? I'm 34. 34. So you're a couple years older than our children. And, and I'd love to kind of maybe know how your dad's doing. Cause I, I, I've shared people that have listened in know part of our story is multiple companies that were doing really, really well in 08 
And by 2013, we were homeless, bankrupt, foreclosed, all that, you know, whatever terms you want to use. And our daughter was somewhere in her college career around that time. Our son uh, did not end up going to college, but he was in that age group. And I, I think there's an entire generation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something with you, and then we'll let you respond and say, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I'll just We'll see. Because I think it's fascinating to have this conversation, because I actually believe we're going to see times like this again, and I want us to learn from what we did last time. And and that is this, Sam, our, our generation on the tail end of the boomers, we didn't like to let people see us bleed. We didn't like to show a lot of emotion. I'm generalizing, of course. And so when all of a sudden we were what many would look at us, especially our children, as being successful, and then all of a sudden they looked at us and said, oh, no, they're not. It really changed their worldview on success, on money, on business, whatever. We could throw you know, on taking risk like you brought up. And, and I think I've seen that in our children. We've had discussions about it. You know, we haven't totally unpacked it. But um, my kids have told me, they said, Dad, we just thought, you know, you could do no wrong. You were awesome. And then all of a sudden you were telling us, pack up and go your own way because our big house, we're done. They're, they've told us we have to move. So what are your thoughts on that? Because it's real interesting to kind of get some generations here talking about going through that time. We can probably talk about pandemic would be similar because we had a lot of people probably do that and I think some things coming up. What are your thoughts? So your question to me is what are my thoughts about your generation and how they handle or my no. experience and perception and how you handle adversity and how you no. talk about it. is that fair? Not even yeah, I mean you could you could go that way if you want to, or just or just the observation of you watching your dad go through his situation. You said you were at a pretty formative age. My children were at a formative. What does it do for your generation to see that? Um, listen, we felt like we were getting punched in the gut over and over again. I'll tell you exactly. But we still, unfortunately, put a smile on our face. We didn't like to share a lot with other people. That was our generation. So anyway, yeah. I mean, you, you can give it whatever perspective you want. Yeah, I'll just speak about my experience through it or how I see it. And I'm a Christian. And so for me, and I still have to things have to get stripped away and I have to learn how to surrender and let go. But for me, um, <laughs> I know this from a macro level. I believe it's true. I know it's true. And on my, on my good days, I believe it in my heart those days, but there's a plan for my life and it's all going to be okay. And I think ultimately for me that that's just where I have to cling to. And so I think, you know, in business, Listen, there's people that I know that have built things that are very large and that have very well-known reputations that put everything they had plus debt into something and it worked out. So I, there are people that know that have taken risks that I personally wouldn't do. I mean, maybe I would alone, single, but I'm definitely not going to do now that I'm married, just knowing how our, our home is and my wife. And it's worked out for them. But I think you know, in a, when you go through that, or even what I experienced personally, you got to watch your P and L, you got to watch your numbers, you got to watch your decision. And you got to have at least a couple people that you're talking to. And that know you and that know everything that's going on. And, and I think, and then the third thing for me is to pray and for open and closed doors. And I, I listen to interviews and I interview people that are brilliant and they do not believe what I believe. I don't know how they get through life because I mean, for me, I have to be centered on something outside of myself to continue to live and to pursue the things that I feel like I'm supposed to and to have wisdom and guidance. And so I think I see other people fail it's not that they take risks. They just, they're not known. And you can't tell that to everybody because even if you think you have a great community and great friends, a lot of people, they don't want to hear, you know, whatever you got to say, but there are, there can be two to three people that know business that know you and that can help you kind of keep a, 
a red light or a green light on if the dashboard's getting off. And I think I, when I see other people fail, I see that. I also see people, you know, they get in addictions with gambling or alcohol or things like that. And cause you just get in this bad cycle. And so for me, I'm, I have a few close friends and I have some mentors that are really good at business that also share beliefs that I have. And, and I'm praying constantly for open and closed doors because I mean, I've put, I've put a fair amount of a respectable amount of money into what I've been working to build over the last year and a half. And my wife is very talented at what she does. And that's been a huge asset for this season, but it's taken, it's taken some risk. I haven't hedged ourselves, I haven't leveraged us, but I spent a lot of time and a lot of money. And so I want to continue to, to pursue that and do what I should and serve other people, make a difference and build great relationships and add a lot of value and hopefully do this work for the next 40 years. But I know that I'm not smart enough. And so I need to continue to get help and get guidance and, and, and lean into that because I know what can happen. If you get all wrapped up in your own ideas, your own emotion, I just, I see it. I've seen it with myself and I see other people. They just, they make an ass out of themselves or you can't. Hmm. I think I, I, it's interesting that you brought up the faith component because as a Christian follower of Christ, I, I thought that my faith was strong prior to the 08, um, you know, whatever we call it now, downturn. And, and I'm not one from a faith standpoint that says that God brought on that issue just for Tim's sake or others. But I will tell you, he sure did use it to get my attention and to humble me, to bring me to a place where I could say what you just said, which is, man, it is not all about me. It is, I am not all that. I'm not as bright as I thought I was. And, and the reason I think this is a good conversation, Sam, is it I'm kind of reading a lot of what's going on right now. We're recording this in later 2022, and I believe we're about to have 12 months-ish of some interesting economic times. I think we kicked the can down the road with a lot of things, and the pandemic um, probably uh, exacerbated a lot of stuff. It probably caused some issues. So, And the reason I think it's powerful for people is to we all need to learn from this, but Something for me that you brought up is just knowing that there's a bigger picture, knowing that everything doesn't revolve around me sure does help because every time I get caught up in myself is when usually I'm in for some form of an adjustment or correction. And um, that's fascinating. So, so, but I, I do, there's one other thing I want to go into because you brought it up and I want to talk about just that risk tolerance or that risk aversion or the risk pursuit. And I know you've interviewed a lot of people and probably learned about this. And, and I've talked to a lot of people and, you know, the age you've been through. Talk more about um, what you've learned about risk and yourself and maybe even others. I mean, if you want to kind of project on some things you've learned just from some of the conversations with you've, you've had with, you know, the Driven By podcast, because I think a lot of drive can be muted if someone is risk averse, but then I also think you could do it with wisdom. So just risk. What, what are, what are some additional thoughts you have on that? I was just given, you know, good advice. I think, I mean, I've always been given good advice. I wonder how often I'll listen to it or not, but you know, what's happening, you know, what, what, what doors are opening and what am I good at and how can I add value to society, to the, you know, to the country, to whatever group or individual that I'm, I'm serving. And so, so for me, how I think about risk, I mean, for one, I watch it like a hawk, I watch, you know, assets, liabilities, you know, I, I, I run the business tight and that doesn't mean I always run it the right way or whatever, but I, I know my stuff. And, but to, I guess maybe just simplify this, 
it was a gift to be asked to work for a great organization that's run by great people that people believe in and, and they're proud to be working there. So like, you know, I can show you log Excel spreadsheets of cold calls and emails that I'm always doing of rejection after rejection after rejection, but somehow things were orchestrated in a way for somebody who's a much smarter person than I am to call me and say, Hey, we like the way you do what you do. Would you do this for us? Like that was a gift. And so I ran with it and I pushed through every, I mean, you know, when you start a podcast, you're nervous about how many people listen to it. What are people going to think of my social media? How much of myself do I talk about that? I mean, you just have all these hesitations all the time. And I have pushed through more obstacles over the last year and a half, you know, by just really trying to take advantage of these opportunities. And from, so from a risk standpoint, things just keep happening. And, and I believe these skills are transferable. I mean, worst case scenario, if I had to go start over or if the well went dry for a period of time, you better believe I'm a better salesman because of this work. You better believe I can understand what the other person thinks or needs. And it doesn't matter if it's a store manager or CEO of a fortune 500 company. I know people and I know the way they think and, and I know what, how I can connect with people. So, I mean, what's the downside? I mean, that's a piece of it. And then another thought about risk on it. There was a line from somebody that I heard where they, they just put, they took a lot of risk and they said they were, it was either going to happen or they were going to die trying. And they literally meant that, and, but they knew the underlying fundamentals of why they felt the way they felt like they, their thought processes, how they could read metrics. Like there was a lot of validity to what they were saying. And at the end of the day, the people I work with are top notch. And I mean, that includes audio production, editing, that includes video production, shooting, that includes everything. I mean, I just, I don't like working with people that are not, you know, solid at what they do and, and people that probably aren't. And I, my personality can be a lot for people. So I, I do fantastic work and, and I'm honoring other people. I'm honoring how they're made and what they care about. And so I've gotten to this place where I'm not promoting me. I'm not, I mean, I am promoting me and I'm promoting my work, but it's all about serving more people. And I've, I'm beginning to wrap my head around that more and more. So that sense of screw it mentality has, it's kind of, you know, penetrated more and more into my thoughts where I still get locked up or I still get concerned about calling this person or following up on that project or whatever, or this client, you know, but it's just pushing me to leave it all in the field more and more. And so I hope that somehow, some way, you know, things are going to keep compounding in some way. And, and this, I love this country and I love the opportunity that I do believe that I have come from a place of privilege and opportunity that's more than others. And I don't take that for granted. And I need to have an open mind to that. And I think these are very complicated challenges and things that to be candid, I don't, I don't know a lot about, but I'd say where we're at as a society and culture today, I think there's a lot of opportunity for people that are willing to just get after it, do great work and try to do the right thing. And that's exciting to me. Hmm. Yeah. I think I heard someone recently say that even on our worst day, those of us that are first world, you know, here in the United States, you know, I'm sitting in an RV, you're sitting in a house, you know, we've got food, we've got, we were talking about our microphones and stuff like that. We've got stuff that even on our worst day, we look at a large percentage of the world population and we're still so far quote unquote, better off what, what, whatever better off means. And, uh, I think that's a great, perspective and also a great perspective from a spiritual standpoint too. I want to, I want to make sure before we start wrapping up here, 
I, I, lo- I said this at the beginning, and, and I want to kind of tap into some of the things you've seen. How many episodes are y'all in on the Driven by Podcast now? 70 or 80 or something? Yeah, I'm not. Honestly, I don't know. Probably 70-something. Okay, yeah. So you're in, you've done a lot. You've done quite a few. But, but, uh, but if you add, like, everything all over, I mean, it's close to 300. Yeah, so, you, so you've had 300 conversations. One of the things, and I, I've repeated this so the people listening in or on, on our audience are going to say, Tim, you've said that before. In the world we're in today with all these phones and technology and things like that, it is rare for people like you and I to sit down unencumbered, uninterrupted for an hour plus and have what I consider to be a fairly in-depth, a focused conversation where we're not scrolling or doing something else. And I love that. That's part of why what I love. And, and it's kind of helped me fine-tune a lot about Tim's thought process and my perspective. Now, I bring my perspective to all these conversations, and I'm sure you do too, but I'd, I'd love, uh, you know, over our last few minutes here, just to kind of get some lessons learned from these 300 conversations you've had, some things that have impacted you in a positive way, some things you've learned that maybe you've done well, not well. I'm just going to kind of spread a pretty wide net here. And so, I mean, with a title like Driven By, Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about where the title came from. I'd love, love to know what, what are some of the things that Sam has gotten from all these conversations? Yeah, one thing I'd like to say before I answer that, another thing that, and I, I would just not be telling the truth, going back to the previous question or topic, like comparison's a huge thing. And so thinking about at this stage of the life, you know, taking time and money and still making money, but pouring it back into what you're doing. It's easy for me to think about like one of my best friends, who's a very successful banker and just the cash flow that he generates. And so, or, you know, other friends that well-educated, smart, they work for successful organizations, or they might even have started a company early on. And so because of my own insecurity and idolatry to go back to you know, 2009, that experience of like experiencing hardship or buying my truck out of foreclosure or paying, you know, off, you know, taking on student loans unexpectedly, which there's a lot of people that do that, but just where you feel like you had to really get after it. That's a, that's a, that's something that I, it's an insecurity to me. And so I've had to totally release that and, and I have to own that and I have to be honest because you know, for me, it's like, you think about maybe, well, if I did this or I did that, or I had, uh, there was this opportunity, what if I would have compounded that on top, but I'm just, I'm playing the cards I'm dealt and I'm doing it with a hundred percent. And I believe there's reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I believe I should. And I pray if there are reasons why I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing, I pray that I get hit in the side of the face and, you know, have humility and change. But comparison has been, it's been a challenge that I've had to work through to go to your last question about what I've learned. I mean, it sounds easy and it's definitely, it feels easier saying it than what it feels like living it, but it's not that complicated. Like things happen, doors open, you know, tell the truth, be honest. I mean, I'm tempted all the time to try to protect information for my own behalf, like with a client, like, Am I going to be intellectually honest? Am I going to tell the truth? Am I going to serve this group the best way possible and let surrender the outcomes? That's a value. I see very, I mean, you're an engineer, great operators. Oftentimes they think in systems, they think in production, they don't get muddled with emotion. And so I take great confidence that very smart, talented operators like what I do and they see a need for me, but I've got to, I've got to put the future. I've got to let that go. And so I see that play out where people just, they love their work or they're at least very interested in their work and they stick with it. And they're they're not worried about a bunch of side hustles and they're not getting distracted. They just, they have their craft and they're zoned in on that. That's huge. Um, And so, and, and I'm applying that to my own life. That's a principle Another principle, I think there's a time to take risk. And I've seen people take risks in their 50s where if it didn't work out, 
you know, it would really hurt and it would really hurt them, but it did work out. And I haven't really, so I can really only speak to that success, but I think they knew the underlying fundamentals of what they were taking all that risk in. And another thing is like really just knowing your own talents, your own skill sets and, and really leveraging that, uh, the best way you can. Another is people that have experienced a sense of pain and adversity. There's a realness to them that a lot of other people, the way society ticks, they, it doesn't operate on that same level. And they, you just cut through the noise. And, and honestly, that those are some of the most fun people I love to be around are people that have been through it. And it, it essentially broke their personality. And then you see the beauty and the wholeness that they are. And it doesn't mean they're soft or they're pushovers or I mean, they're very strong, talented men and women, but they just, there's no BS to them. And, and, and I think I've lived in some of that myself. And so I think there's an appreciation for that. And then, I mean, just finding a way to get it done, getting the job done. I mean, it's hard. Everything is hard. There's always an obstacle. You can, tie certain challenges and obstacles back to certain incidents or people. And, you know, you can proactively work through it, but just you see the people that are willing just to find a way to get it done, whatever it takes. And then lastly, man, it's with a couple, like with the family, when you see people, their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and you see the wholeness that certain people have like business, it's not, it's not number one. It's not number two. Usually, you know, it's number four, number five. And I, and I get to work with for CEOs that had their plane, you know, traveled the world and they can go wherever they want to go. But honestly, nobody, not that many people are calling them now. And, and so you see this humility and you see this peace that these people have with their family. And when they're, and, it's just, it's, it's very attractive when you see the love that people have for their spouse or for their kids. And you also, it makes you realize all the choices you're making along the way up until that point, what does it take to actually have that harmony? And it's very attractive to me. And, it, and, and I have a personality where I could go way off real quick, but it makes me, it keeps that top of mind to me. Cause I know I want that at the end of the day. Yeah. I think that's been one of my biggest learning points from, some of the down times we've been through is appreciating more of, I don't know, I, I use the word, the word brokenness came to mind. I was reading an article recently about how those of us that are Christians, followers of Christ, you know, we're always looking for prosperity, abundance, we're doing all these type things. And we don't talk about that word brokenness that much, but in many ways, that's when we can be used to the highest levels within that kingdom of God is when we are at that most broken stage because we can only only go to him instead of using ourself. I, I do want to ask kind of the origin of the name Driven By because that was fascinating. And I think I might have snooped around a little bit, but I don't know that I ever found it. Um, I mean, obviously you started this, you know, we were deep into a pandemic if it was June of 2020. So was this a pandemic podcast you got started? Was it a, a I think a, a bunch of people started uh, during the pandemic. And um, but where did where, you know, the origin of the name? What was that all about? Yeah, I mean, I did start it in the pandemic and I saw. You know, there's a there's press, publicity, business articles and papers and all that kind of podcast. At the end of the day, <laughs> you can see people who are committed and focused on whatever it is they're doing, and then people that are they're just not. And they, I mean, they still might they're great and they might have a good organization, but you can see the people that are just very focused at their craft and that, uh, that appealed to me. And so when the pandemic hit, which is a really tough time and hard, um, it was very interesting, but 
I was curious about the people that publicly seemed to be playing offense through the pandemic. And, and it wasn't that they were dismissing COVID itself or science or people's health, but they were like, it doesn't matter what's going to happen. We're going to keep going. And if when the pandemic first hit and the market dropped, you know, and I felt that there was this sense of it's the end of the world, not literally, but it, that, it was just that kind of vernacular. And, and then I started observing people that just seemed to be like, yes, this is really hard. It's going to be hard. We want to take care of our people, but we're going to keep making decisions. We're not going to just, we're not going to play defense to it. And so it was the deeper reasons why these people were the way they are. And then driven by, obviously, for me, it's evolved into kind of what we've been talking about this whole time. It's the deeper re the deeper reasons that drive someone. And I don't go psychological or philosophical every time in an interview. I mean, usually it's, it's delivering an outcome. It's covering the points that need to be covered. But people are wired the way they are for a certain reason. And, and I see that. And I can give you example after example after example. So I think it was essentially my own curiosity – of understanding why other people were driven in the ways that they were. And I wanted to know how I could be driven for the, what I was supposed to be doing. Cause I was at a crossroads in life at that point. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that because I think that really summarizes where a lot of people were then you actually just took a step and did, did something about it, which is good. I'm going to ask you probably one of the toughest questions that I think most of us podcasters get asked. And that is if we were going to down in the notes, include one, two, three episodes that someone that hasn't been exposed to driven by <laughs> podcast needed to check out. I'm kind of asking maybe not for your favorite episodes, but where would someone start? I actually jumped in and I went all the way down. I bumped into Drew Holcomb and I think Isaac Bruce. So I got a musician that I've enjoyed and then also a Super Bowl, uh, you know, someone who's been to Super Bowls. Um, so I'm going to ask you two or three and then we're going to do a wrap up question as we finish up here. Is that is that something you can do? I'm not sure that I could do that well for mine. So I hope it's not a tough question. No. Um, so Drew's, that was really early on, but I'd still check it out. He's a great guy. There's a, there's one on there, Jeff Calkins, and he's a well-known writer. It's a well-known sports talk show. And he left, he went to Harvard and, and then he got a law degree and he left a firm, I think in DC, but his was a good interview. You want three or four? Just fire away, and then we'll, we'll Here's another the question or two here. Retired Sergeant Major from the United States Marine Corps, Justin LeHue, incredible man, and just his passion and his story. And that was a great interview, and he's a great man. And then of, of late, I check out Pat Lawler. I could give you more. But I'm not going to because yeah. I mean, there's others that I, I care about these people and they're really good interviews and they're well received. But what Pat Lawler has done with Youth Villages and the work they're doing and the presence they have around the country, I check that one out. That's good. And we'll, uh, I would guess that our people that do our transcript, they'll probably include the link so someone from the website can click and go straight to uh, those episodes. And, and yeah, you know, kind of like when someone asks who your favorite kid is. It's these episodes, they all have value. They all were, you know, certain times, but I do like to ask, you know, which ones would you point people to where, where, if you want people to connect with you, where would you want them to go? We'll include things down in the notes, but yeah, uh, just, just go to, driven. yeah, there's a website. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No worry. Um, driven by Sam Coates. So driven by Sam Coates and, you know, that's ES coats, but I'm putting everything under that brand, that website, podcast, corporate, the private, and it's a landing page there now, but, uh, you just go there and if you want to get a hold of me, that's where you find me. That's easiest. Excellent. We'll include that. Hey, Sam, we are seek, go create those three words. We've mashed them together. They have a lot of meaning to me and 
us, but I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you one of those words just as a final question here. Seek, go, or create. Which one would you choose that means more to you, resonates with you, whatever, and why? Seek. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a doer. So I'm going to go, but I want to make sure this isn't my line, but that your ladder's leaning up against the right wall. Uh, I forgot who originally said that. I've heard it a lot. Um, Brent B. Shore, I remember him talking about it. I did an episode with him, but for me, I want to seek and then go. Mm. Yeah, that the reason that's good is that's almost identical to me. I I used to be a go go goer, and I think that's part of why I ended up in some of the situations. And so, I want to take more time to seek and just have that peace. Sam, what a great conversation, man! I appreciate it. I highly recommend if you've been listening in, go check out Driven by the podcast. Check out the links that we included for Sam. Definitely go listen to those few episodes he mentioned check out some of the others uh it's been a cool conversation i believe that that what sam talks about there what we talk about here they are somewhat different but boy they integrate and mesh together really really well so i've enjoyed the conversation sam i want to remind everyone we've got new episodes every monday we're on youtube all the socials you can see clips of what we do everywhere so check all that out and until next time continue being all that you were created to be.